Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Colleen Francis. She's the owner of consultancy Engage Selling Solutions. She is LinkedIn's number one sales influencer of 2020, a Hall of Fame keynote speaker, and an award-winning sales strategist, besides being the best-selling author of the book, Nonstop Sales Boom, Powerful Strategies to Drive Consistent Growth Year After Year. I am absolutely honored to have her as a guest today. Evolvers, please welcome Colleen Francis. Hey, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I, I love to learn how people got their start in sales. Um, you know, when you and I were going to school, there was no degree. And, <clears throat> and even today, there's really not that much of a degree program for sellers. So how did you get your start? What were your beginnings? Well, I really came by my sales career, honestly. So I think it goes back to pre-birth. My dad was a sales guy. <laughs> so, um, you know, I grew up in a household where sales was never a bad word. I mean, everything, my mom didn't work and everything we had because, was because of sales. So I, you know, I never associated it with a dirty word for, you know, the way some families might have. And then I think also as a result of my dad being a sales guy and, and um, sales manager, um, I was a really active child, you know, soccer, band, volleyball, and I had to sell stuff for camp, right? You know, chocolate bars, wrapping paper, poinsettias, spices, and I had to go door to door. My dad refused to take that stuff to work for me. So I, yes. at an early age, I was knocking on doors and, <laughs> and selling. And then... Um, my first, you know, I put myself through university. I, my first job, uh, in, uh, summer job at school was uh, with um, a big wine distributor. So, you know, I started working in sales really early and it just kind of naturally progressed so that when I graduated um, and, you know, we, there was all sorts of options when you graduate, it seemed like the right thing to do. So. Awesome. I think that a lot of us got our, our start pretty early in sales and having uh, my dad as well was a seller of paper. Um, oh, he, mine he, too. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. He did. He did like all of the paper for when Columbia House Records uh, was in oh, business, cool. and just you know, train loads of paper basically. <laughs> in, in industry. But it was great. You know, I was not only proud of my dad as a seller, but he would get the coolest books in the house. Yeah. And, you know, we had five different encyclopedia versions. Of stuff, so <laughs> so pa paper sales was a good thing to do. What, yeah, what about, exactly. What about your dad? What type of thing? Um, he worked, it was a lot of uh, paper products, envelopes, notebooks, okay. mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, paper pads, those kinds of things. So <laughs> now yeah. a lot of that kind of sales, I know even in my dad's area, had gotten disintermediated, right? And yeah. a lot of times we talk today about, you know, the depth of the B2B sales rep. And there's a lot of sales reps that have, you know, gone the way of the dodo bird. Any, any opinion about that? Or, you know, how do we make sure we, we make sure selling stays relevant nowadays? Yeah, I really believe um, that B2B selling will never go away. Um, the skills that are required have transformed. So I work with a lot of traditional industries. And, you know, I work with guys who have been in their jobs for 30 years selling. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them, you know, says, this is a shoe leather business, right? Like we go up to the door, we knock on the door, we take orders. Our clients won't order on a monthly or weekly basis if I don't show up there and take the order. Hmm. And that's pretty common um, mindset for industrial sales, um, 
uh, you know, all industrial chemical products, things like that. Um, even to some degree, food service products, um, restaurant supply. Um, and those guys really have to understand. And I think what, ironically what um, the COVID lockdown has taught them is that they don't have to be there. Um, yeah. It's really funny because I have a couple of clients who said, I have been trying to get my guys to sell using modern sales techniques, LinkedIn and the phone even mm -hmm. for years. And they've always said it will never work. Well, they've just proven that it does. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, so, now all those sellers now that were shoe leather sales reps are now inside sellers though, yeah. right? So, so yeah. do you find that they're able to retool or that organizations are struggling? Obviously the catalyst is there and a lot of sales enablement sales leaders are saying, why waste a good crisis? This is the time to change oh, and transform. Absolutely. One of my clients said that exactly. Um, we never let a good pandemic go to waste is what he said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I was reminded earlier today of, you know, the old expression, necessity is the mother of invention. I am watching that happen, um, you know, before my very eyes over the last three or four months because salespeople who told me in the past unequivoc unequivocally, LinkedIn, Facebook, social media, that's not selling, you know, this is a people business. My clients won't buy unless we're there. I'm not going to, you know, pick up the phone and make a cold call. I'm going to go knock on a door or, or cold calling works, right? Mm -hmm. All of that is changed. I mean, all of those people, if they want to earn a paycheck right now, have had to make a 180 degree turn quickly. Otherwise, um, they have not been able to work, period. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you're a, uh, you know, putting myself in that role, I'm a shoe leather salesman. I, I'm used to visiting. I'm used to going in and taking the orders. What do you advise them to do day one, day two, day three? How do they prospect in this environment? How do they, you know, make sure those orders are still taken? Yeah, but, you know, for one, if they're um, calling on existing customers, I'm urging them to use video, um, pick up the phone and to increase the amount of communication. One thing that we found through, um, through this is that sellers who have actually increased the points of communication with their clients uh, have succeeded. So they're in front of them more often. Um, they're talking to them about what's going on. They're ensuring that everyone is safe and healthy and they're working with them on, on issues that they can help them with. From a prospecting perspective, uh, one of the things that I'm known for on LinkedIn, which causes great and fun controversy, um, <laughs> is my belief that cold calling is dead. And I've been talking about this for a couple of years, meaning mm -hmm. that business owners, business people don't want to talk to strangers. And so well, the calling isn't dead, but the cold part is. So we need to warm up those leads. Well, now we're finding that this is doubly true because um, not only do people not want to talk to strangers, the people who are working are doubled down with two to three jobs because you know people have been furloughed, laid off, or they can't get workers. Um, there's a huge risk. People don't want to change because they're just trying to hunker down and get the work done. Um, you know, and so if you don't have skills to warm up your prospecting or tools, then you're not going to get in the door. Um, some sales reps are having a hard time finding their own customers to talk to, let alone new customers. Mm -hmm. So the tools in a B2B marketplace, um, we're finding that our clients are using um, LinkedIn especially well to not only find people, so you know, going into the company and finding the right people to talk to, but finding those wedges or um, those nuggets of information, those insights about the company that they can use as a conversation. So I'll give you an example. Um, a client of mine in the uh, in Kentucky 
was, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to prospect. And he found a client website um, or LinkedIn site. And the LinkedIn site had some videos about the company. Mm-hmm. And the company uh, was talking about the manufacturing process. And it featured some equipment that he was familiar with. And so he was able to make a comment on the page that said, oh, hey, I'm really familiar with this equipment. We just worked with another client to solve this problem. And that caused them to reach out and say, oh, hey, we're having that problem. Can you help? which then caused a conversation mm-hmm. um, with him and the ownership group of the company. And, you know, he was able to say, I really enjoyed your videos. You know, it gives me, a, you know, so that he started with that compliment and that wedge, and then they were able to move on to the problem and now they're doing business. So that is a really powerful, you know, way to use LinkedIn is, is it's not just about connecting with people. It's about learning about the business and spotting opportunities to help people. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, maybe I'm not getting, the people that you're coaching, I'm getting much more of the <laughs> calls and a lot more of them, I think, because people have time and maybe I'm paying attention to a lot. But, you know, you get those invites and you, you're debating whether you accept or not. And the minute you accept it, along comes the pitch oh. the service for the product. And, you know, you can't unlink quick enough. And I usually don't because I like to, you know, try to cultivate or add value. And yeah. A lot of people want to connect because they might need advice or other things. And, and, you know, hey, if I could positively influence and you could read one or two of my articles, great. I'll keep you on board. But gosh, I'm sure you get a lot of those too, where you accept the person and you get the first, they they immediately DM you with some solicitation for a product or a service that you could care nothing about. And you want to just go back time and, and unaccept. And you know, the thing that drives me crazy about this is, so it's one thing to pitch to somebody a product or service that might be relevant to their business. So I get a lot of that um, with search engine optimization or lead generation Mm -hmm. stuff. It's a whole other thing to send me a DM that says, um, would you be interested in growing your dental practice? You know, I, I send notes back like, what? on my profile led you to believe that I was a dentist or I see that you live in Wisconsin. Like I visited Wisconsin, but where (laughs) do you see anywhere, you know, and that stuff really drives me crazy or the ones who think that I want an alternative stream of income, right? Because I like, if you visited my profile, you could see that I'm quite busy. (laughs) Even the ones that are semi-relevant, I just, it it very much turns me off. I mean, I don't think today anyone, particularly maybe it's under the extra stress that we're under business-wise or or socially, you know, we don't want to be sold to. Yeah. And so, um, you know, your aspect of cold calling is dead, I think is spot on. So yeah. what, are, what are some other techniques? So you spoke about, hey, you could look at the profile and you could um, do some maybe problem solving, like pro- yep. proactive problem solving. They might not have that problem, but you know, people in their industry have had it or people with that equipment have it. Put it out there. You know, at least yeah. that's a, a personal connection. So the two things I got were focus on a problem and make it personal. Or are there other elements that you can think of? Yeah, some really tactical things. So I have a process we call the the tempo triad. (laughs) So the way it works is this. I tell salespeople, pick three relevant media sources. So generally, you know, like LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, let's say, if those are, or maybe it's YouTube, whatever it happens to be. Um, And I want you to do three things a day on each of those pieces of media. Um, That is post something unique. 
So once a day on each of those medias, post something unique. So maybe something that you've written or your company has written, um, a how-to tip, a success story. I want you to comment or ask a question on something that your client has posted. So let's say a, a client or a prospect has posted maybe a story, maybe a good news story about a donation they made to the food bank. You know, even if it's just a, wow, wonderful to see you contributing to society. Or like my uh, client did, hey, I, uh, I'm familiar with that equipment. We just solved the problem for another client. Mm -hmm. um, just something that adds value that shows people are listening. And the third thing is to repost, so to share something that one of your clients or prospects has shared or something from the news that you think is relevant. So um, a client of mine is selling to Rivian. Rivian just got how many millions or billions of dollars in investment. The news press release, they posted that to say, you know, proud to be working with this, you know, hot company sort of thing. Absolutely. So though, if you do those three things um, on each of those three media types um, a day, you're really going to elevate your profile and become a person of interest. And that's where I think salespeople have to transform a little bit. You know, I know there's been in the past this kind of talk about, um, you know, smarketing, I think is the term that came up. Maybe HubSpot created it. <laughs> yes. um, but really, salespeople have to become their own personal branding and marketing um, experts. Just what I wrote down is personal brand with an exclamation point. Um, mm -hmm. I learned this by uh, being in an e-commerce real early and building a, a kind of a lifestyle brand, that personal branding was really important. You know, the likes of yeah. the Martha Stewart back in the day and folks like that. People, yeah. People connected with their, they wanted to be her. They wanted to have that lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, that's almost how you have to think of yourself in social yeah. media space nowadays. Why I call myself the ROI guy is because, yeah. right? You yeah. basically kind of can pick a name for yourself. You, you try to create a voice for yourself out there and then you try to reinforce that. And in my thing, it's always anything I post or anything I like or anything share has to have value for my audience and has to convey that unique voice. Talk yeah, about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, people, people connect with you, not just for your expertise, but for who you are. Right. Um, and that, so that brand is important. And I think the consistency in the brand is really important. Um, you know, especially today where we might not be able to be out in front of a, of, of a group, an audience, a person <laughs> physically, yeah. um, the online presence, it has to look authentic. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, the, the challenge we have is that there is a lot of unauthentic behavior, branding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, out there. People say, well, I have to look like a success and so I'm going to borrow my friend's Rolex and go down the street and sit in someone's Porsche and, you know, yeah. pretend that those are the trappings, but frankly, no one ever believes that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have to be, I think it's a double-edged sword, um, but I do think that your branding um, can be all about uh, adding value, right? So the more value you deliver, the more expertise you give away, um, the, the more help you offer people, um, yeah. the more, I think that helps you to, I think that helps people really, um, feel like you are, uh, a genuine expert that uh, you're not there just to take their money. You're there to actually help them. And I say to people all the time, you know, visit my website, 
log into my LinkedIn lives. And honestly, I guarantee you that if you do what I say, you will improve and you won't have paid me anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, I truly believe in the mindset of creating an environment. My brand is really, um, man, I get so much for you from free for free. Just imagine what would happen if I paid you, you yeah. know, that, that's the kind of culture that I want to create. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. I mean, uh, you know, give away the book, give away, and, and it's there. If I can mm -hmm. help someone that day, great. If I get paid for it, you know, to me, that'll come, that'll just come yeah. naturally, you know, yeah. just out there and being in business. So the tempo triad, post unique uh, content, how to content, um, comment or question, and then share something of interest. And then we talked about, to me, what comes down to beyond that. It's not just the tempo triad, but it's how do you build trust with your audience? And that's having a voice, right? A unique voice out there, be authentic, and then add value and truly try to help. Yeah. Anything else that comes back to that trust or, or any opinion on kind of the best ways to do that? Because I think that's the, you know, the, the cold aspect of the calling is, is I don't trust you, what you're pitching me right away. It's not going to yeah. work. Well, so and it's, it's the pitch. First. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you're never going to develop trust with someone if you pitch first. Um, you'll, you have to, um, you have to be well transparent, right? Mm -hmm. So I also don't trust people who say it's, they don't start with a pitch, but you, you immediately get a direct message that says, oh, hey, we have lots of contacts in common. Let's talk. I'm like, well, let's talk about what? Exactly. <laughs> so um, you need to show the person that you understand the world that they're living in um, and that you uh, and that you've had success or you work with people like them. Right. Mm -hmm. So ask a question, um, but not in a, see, I think that direct message is too fast um, mm -hmm. in many cases. I think I that agree. the right way to do it is to, you know, follow their posts and comment publicly so that it mm -hmm. looks, so you don't look like you're just stalking, stalking. them, right? <laughs> so if a prospect, if somebody that you think is really interesting and would like to do business with um, post something, then comment on it publicly. Hey, that's really, you know, this is really interesting post or congratulations on this announcement. I'm curious, what are you doing about X, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the exactly. kinds of things. And again, I'm, I'm talking more in the B2B market because that's where I, I play. I recognize on maybe a business to consumer market, uh, you might be doing things slightly differently. But for most of my clients on LinkedIn, they are targeting very specific people. Um, you know, you could call it account-based marketing if you wanted, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, you've got a list. We know who our clients are. Um, it's not a, it's not a, you know, free, free throw. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> so there's specific there. companies, right? Usually in specific industries and they're in specific roles. And the way I like to think about it is what voice are you going to have for them? What, what yeah. help do they need? What challenges are they looking to solve? And then try to provide some value around that. You know, if yeah, you absolutely. have a customer who's similar to them and you want to share a case study with them, go ahead and do that. Or there's an article about that industry, yeah. post it up. Say, hey, did you, did you see this article? Did you see that article? And yeah. like you said, just engaging with them and having a virtual relationship first with comments. And I can't yeah. tell you how many people are evolvers today and have been on the show that I've had online conversations with for months 
and never really have met them in a business setting, but we just got to know each other virtually by commenting on each other's articles. And Absolutely. I know I have the same kind of relationships. And, you know, I, I want to point out too that there is a fine line here because I've experienced um, people who think that they're trying to deliver value online, um, either through video or, or through, um, you know, written posts or audio posts. And what happens is, you know, they, they think and, and they're right to a certain degree in that they want to create value by sharing success stories. Mm -hmm. But what happens is this, the success stories are twisted to make them look like the hero every single time. Mm -hmm. So this is always that what they do is they always are talking about what they created mm -hmm. um, or how they helped or how they, you know, as opposed to telling the story through the eyes of the customer and letting the customer be the hero. And whether they know it or not, or whether they recognize it or not, it really does come off as just bragging, as arrogance. Um, and it is a, it is a, it's a fine line, of course, because you want people to associate the success that client had with you or your company, but you don't want to be explicit about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's putting them at the center of the story, definitely. Yeah, does. absolutely. What other, you know, through the crisis, and obviously there's a lot of uh, budget lockdowns and constraints, you can't visit with the customers anymore. What other things are you seeing and what are other advice um, beyond what we talked about already are you giving to your customers? Well, I'm telling them right, right now, I'm encouraging everybody to be really um, data oriented more so than ever, you know, um, I, a lot of my clients have had to become much more granular in the way they're looking at the data and how often they're looking at the data. Um, it's been interesting because, you know, clients who may have, you know, and rightly so, you know, watched month over month results and spotted a trend after three months, we're now mm -hmm. saying, no, 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 trends are three days. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if three days in a row, we notice that our, sales cycle rates are changing or, you know, what closing dates are adjusting, then we make an adjustment because mm -hmm. right now things are happening so quickly. We have to be able to um, turn left or turn right very fast. So, so, you know, daily or real time um, attention to the numbers, a much more thin slice of the number. Um, so, you know, clients, you know, simple examples, clients who only were tracking maybe their overall close ratios are now looking at the conversion ratios between leads to opportunities to quotes to closes. Um, clients who were only tracking a um, 12 week forecast are now tracking a monthly forecast. Yeah. Um, so trying like to get those earlier indicators in. so Much earlier indicators. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So it's not just the, the end result. It's that first or second yeah. derivative, right? Direction and, and also, velocity. Absolutely. I'm also encouraging them to be flexible. So um, I've got a client in manufacturing right now. And, you know, manufacturing in the U.S., um, you know, there's po pockets of success and, you know, shutdowns and, and open ups all over the place. It's kind of, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. <laughs> but I said to them the other day, look, your one rep um, in this in one territory is like still kind of on lockdown. Everything is delayed. He's spinning his wheels. He's doing everything he can, but he can't control what the state is doing. Mm -hmm. And you've got another rep in Indiana, Wisconsin, Indiana, and a uh, who is on fire, like he can't keep up with the opportunities. We need to be flexible and maybe move that guy into Indiana because at this point when your sales are behind as a company, we can't afford to miss low-hanging fruit, mm -hmm. right? So of course we'll compensate everybody fairly, but this is where we have to put the company first. If somebody for, um, 
uh, if somebody, despite all their best attempts, cannot make traction because the state has locked down a business. Sure. Yeah, right? or, the, mean, or industries, right? There are or industry, right? <laughs> Nothing we can do about that. <laughs> then let's move him into a state that is overflowing with business and our current team cannot keep up. Why mm -hmm. not capture, um, you know, a, a higher than normal amount of that business? Yeah, so data-oriented, including especially early indicators, and then be flexible with your planning so that you can yeah. address the hot products maybe for the time, right? Because needs change from the customer. So one product might be hotter than another. One Absolutely. industry may be dead and locked down and another one is exploding for need. Yeah. And territory interesting. So it's super interesting because one of my clients um, in Canada who's uh, uh, like oil and gas, they have gas stations and some oil, all those products. They uh, started to make um, hand sanitizer out of ethanol industrial hand sanitizer and it was super interesting so first of all i had no idea there was a difference between industrial and personal use sanitizer that's <laughs> a new that lesson either. for me yeah. but they carved out this really important niche because they had both and selling to large institutions especially um in the province where they operate um, people didn't know this either and so they became this educational source for industrial versus personal use and the labeling and the dangers and all of that. And so people were paying more from buying from them because they had this level of service and the margin was high enough that it really helped to, you know, make up some of that margin compression that they had in the first couple of months. Very, very cool. Um, in the book, uh, nonstop sales boom that you wrote, um, one of the greatest things in there is you discussed the endless gerbil wheel in sales. And now this <laughs> yeah. was post COVID, right? So now there's on a lot of, a lot of companies, this has a risk of getting worse, right? Companies that are reliant on growth, reliant on that continuous motion. Uh, a lot of them are shut down. A lot of them are struggling. So yeah. how do you advise organizations to recognize this endless gerbil wheel that our sellers sometimes are on and, and we as a sales group are on and, and break out of that cycle. It, yeah. So I think the first thing we have to do is make um, a very logical decision about whether or not what happened in Q2, I'll just say, is fatal or whether it's just a flesh wound. Mm -hmm. um, because there are some industries, let's face it, um, you know, the travel industry, for example, uh, it doesn't really matter what happens in the back half of this year, um, United and American and Delta are not going to make up for the lost revenue that yeah. they had, right? It's just impossible. Yeah. So, so there's those situations. But then there's a lot of B2B clients that I work with who have sort of surfaced this month and said, okay, like it hurt, right? You know, mm -hmm. it was almost a write-off, but it's not fatal. Yeah. We think that we can make up either margin or profits or get close right mm -hmm. um we had such a, a so many clients i talked to had record first quarters mm -hmm. and then q2 was half yeah. or nothing so and so they're thinking like, like yeah. you, you know you turned a switch almost because it was so good it, it was and so many of them are feeling like okay well if we can get q3 and q4 back on track worst case scenario, even if we had zero in Q2, we're 25% down, mm -hmm. right? But we think that we can actually accelerate that. So, you know, let's pick a new goal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you do to your 
compensation plans and, and, and structure, you know, is going to be entirely up to the industry that you're in and how you pay your people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily mean that you've got to readjust all your bonuses and commissions. Um, but I do think you need to be realistic coming out of mm -hmm. this because um, as one of my clients, um, I love this term and they use this way pre COVID, you know, there's explainable variance and there's unexplainable variance, <laughs> <laughs> i.e. excuses. Yeah. And this is an explainable variance. <laughs> and Absolutely. so we have to be fair because I think you don't want to lose good salespeople and you will run the risk, all joking aside, of forcing good salespeople out because you show you don't care yes. um, and, and you're un willing, um, you know, to look up and say, you know, there's some things that we absolutely couldn't control, but there are some things we can, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And just to make sure that, you know, the goals are adjusted to the point that you're showing empathy to your sellers and yeah. you recognize that there are, these are situations they can't control. Um, yeah. I also think that, you know, in the beginning, kind of rewarding getting deals and, and recognizing that getting them to almost the finish line and getting them almost closed is something that should probably be rewarded in an environment like this, even if it does run into that COVID, you know, committee or budget lockdown. Uh, and then working with the sellers to make sure that everything is facilitated when things, when the green light is given, it's ready to go. Yep. So don't beat them up over that. You know, we, we tend number. to be very, yeah, we tend to be very finish line. There's only one winner in sales kind yeah. of orientation. Well, I think too that companies now, um, you know, we're in July. Let's just mm -hmm. assume that January 1st is the, is the start. They should be working and rewarding their sales team for building a pipeline to start 2021 strong. Yeah. Um, you know, because for some companies I work with, uh, we're kind of done because if things aren't closed by now, they're not going to manifest in income by the end of the year. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, work hard to build an overflowing pipeline for first quarter of next year. So we need to reward that. And I think too, going back to an earlier conversation we were having is making sure that um, you are being flexible. So a manufacturing client of mine um, had a record month in May or June, largely because and honestly, I think it was, uh, I don't know that it was, I think even they might admit it was more of a fluke than anything. They didn't do a lot of, you know, aggressive prospecting, mm -hmm. but Amazon fulfillment uh, became a client of theirs. And as they're built, they, they sell something that uh, is uh, part of the, the um, uh, conveyor belt system and they're on fire, right? <laughs> on fire. So again, you take someone who doesn't have Amazon in their territory who has bandwidth and is struggling and throw them into a market where Amazon is so busy that we can't keep up, put two bodies in that territory. Let's be flexible and give that person a chance. It's yeah. going to only help overall the whole company come back. Yeah. So e-commerce fulfillment maybe is where, oh. where there's enormous growth. Tackle that yeah. growth and back off maybe on some of the other um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Territories that aren't working as well or maybe locked down. So what is the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our evolvers with today? The one piece of advice. I know we covered a lot of territory. <laughs> everything from LinkedIn success to quotas. Um, I think that the most important piece of advice right now is uh, to embrace change. I, you know, maybe that sounds a bit cliche, but I honestly believe we have come out of this period of economic growth, which has caused us to be complacent. Um, it's been really easy for um, 
business people, for salespeople, for entrepreneurs over the last eight to 10 years to just keep doing the same thing over and over again and be mm -hmm. incredibly opportunistic, but not innovative. Mm -hmm. And I think that the next three years, we're going to have to flip that on there on its head. We've seen some of it already. We have to be way more innovative um, because it's the only way that you can, uh, that you're going to be able to grow your business or, or, or just sustain your business. If that's, mm -hmm. um, if that, if, if your market is like that. So embracing change and moving from an opportunistic to an innovative mindset, I think is going to be the thing that propels us all forward. Colleen, thank you so much. I know we covered a lot of different topics and ground today and I, but I think you wrapped it up very, very well. Change is a, is a constant and this is an accelerator of change that I think yeah. is a great opportunity to jump on. Don't, don't let this crisis and pandemic go to waste. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> Thank you. Colleen Francis, where can folks get in touch with you? Um, the easiest place to find me is at my, on my website, engagedselling.com or LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. <laughs> so we will include both the URL as well as your LinkedIn address in the show notes. So Colleen Francis, thank you so much for your time. LinkedIn's hey, my number pleasure. One thank you, Tom. Absolutely um, can see why you're the number one sales influencer on LinkedIn. And congratulations on that nomination again. For this year. Thank you. Thank you very much.